You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. All right, and welcome to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler, joined to my right by the one, the only, Ryan Shumpert. Today is Wednesday, November the 16th, and man, we are here back in studio ready for another fantastic show. Ryan, there's a lot going on in the world right now, but we're going to kind of focus things in on the sports world. But first, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Glad to be back, and like you said... uh I thought you were going to say a lot going on in the UT sports world, but there's a lot, a lot going on in the world as a whole, and certainly a, a lot for us to, to keep everybody uh, informed on. Yes, absolutely. we got another big road trip coming up this weekend. That is going to be to Columbia to follow the Tennessee football team. But, man, Ryan, basketball is now fully on the radar. You and I were both in Col- – uh, excuse me, we were not in Colorado. No. We were watching Colorado, but they took on the Tennessee Volunteers over in Nashville. So we got to see that game. Tennessee will be back on the court tonight, which is Wednesday night, against one of my kind of pseudo-favorite teams. And it's only for one reason and one reason alone, but that's Dunk City, Florida Gulf Coast University. I don't even remember which March Madness it was. Do you have any kind of – uh, recollection off the top of your head? I think it was like maybe 2012 because they beat Florida Gulf Coast beat USC last week in their season opener against Andy Enfield who was the coach of that Florida Gulf Coast team who went to USC probably four or five years ago now and I want to say they said it's been like 10 years so I don't know exactly but I think uh, right around that 10 year mark. Well, if you remember correctly to that specific March Madness, they, they defeated Georgetown, which was a two-seed in that first round. And Florida Gulf Coast became known as Dunk City. There was a, uh, there was a song that was made to them. Ryan, I sent you the song earlier in the week because I was just so excited to have this memory back. But nonetheless, Dunk City comes to town uh, to take on Tennessee tonight. We will get into plenty of basketball coming up in the podcast a little bit later on. But until then, Ryan, just like we talked about a second ago, going to Columbia this weekend, got a big football game on the radar. Yeah, certainly. It's basketball's going. It's full swing. We're covering it to the best of our ability, but it's still uh, it's still football season, and and certainly even more to talk about uh, this time this year than there has been the last two decades. Really, I was just was going to say decade, and then I was like, well, it's it's been a long time since Tennessee's been playing for this much in, in football in November. Yeah. Uh, so tons to get to as the Vols look to win their fourth straight over South Carolina this weekend. Well, let's go ahead and not waste any time. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Number 5 Tennessee taking on South Carolina on Saturday night in Columbia, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Ryan, there's a lot of things when I think about with this game, but I want to start off right here. This is a big road test, uh, I think, for Tennessee. This is going to be South Carolina's final home game of the season. They have already announced that it's a sellout, so it's going to be above that 77,000 threshold what do you kind of expect from this South Carolina atmosphere? Do you think it's going to give Tennessee any trouble? I mean, we saw Tennessee be able to handle, in my opinion, Pittsburgh's crowd. They absolutely took LSU's crowd out of the game and, in fact, yeah. inserted their own fans to take over the stadium. But we saw them struggle a little bit against Georgia in the, man, one of the craziest games you know, this season, of course. How do you kind of feel like Tennessee is going to handle this atmosphere, and do you think uh, there's any opportunity for Tennessee to take over that atmosphere. Yeah, probably not the takeover part of it because you know LSU, you had so many Tennessee fans there because they hadn't played in Baton Rouge since uh, 2010 season. So Tennessee, they they're in Columbia every two years, so I don't think you'll have anything like that. And I do think it's at least 
worth being a point of conversation this week because not only did Tennessee struggle with it, or I can't remember exactly what phrase you used, it was bad. It was bad at Georgia. And now, granted, I don't expect this environment at Williams-Brice Stadium to be what it was uh, for Tennessee uh, in Athens at Sanford Stadium. I mean, that was just an electrifying crowd from start to finish. Uh, but it, it, this is a place that uh, I think is People like to say one of the more underrated uh, home field advantages in the SEC, a night game. It's going to be Tennessee. They've played in that game there every single time they've been there, all the way back to 2014. 2012 was the last game they played during the day. But at the same time, with all that being said, I think this is an opportunity for Tennessee to do what you mentioned against LSU, and that's take the crowd out of the game early. Tennessee is a a lot better than the South Carolina team, and and the South Carolina team is – uh, struggling coming into this game, floundering. I mean, they have the win over the tight win over Vanderbilt two weeks ago, but w- lost to Missouri and then probably the worst they've played all season last week in Gainesville. So I think this is an opportunity that South Carolina fans are probably already a little down on this team. If Tennessee comes out fast like they're fully capable of doing, uh, I think they can really limit the crowd noise and not make that a big factor in this game. Yeah, that's kind of been my expectation, or at least my my reading throughout the week as well. You you, you look at what South Carolina fans or, or what people around the program are saying about this game, and I, I think you're right. There's not a lot of optimism that, hey, if Tennessee comes in and, and gets their offense going to the tee, then that's going to be it. You know, I, I think South Carolina fans kind of or South Carolina people around the program, they understand who is coming into this game. I think one of those big places that Tennessee could really take advantage of there early in the game is that run game. I think that's a big way to take out the crowd, being able to establish that run game early. First off, we already know how important that is to Tennessee's offense, but that's also a place where Missouri has been struggling as far as their defense goes. Man, they they have not been great at stopping the run. Uh, They're allowing, this is kind of an interesting stat, but they're allowing 192 yards through the air per game and 100, excuse me, 194, and 192 yards on the ground per game. So they're letting up about 200 on each place. I feel like with Tennessee's uh, running back room and the rotation that they've been going, a little bit of Jabari Small, a little bit of Jalen Wright, Dylan Sampson yeah. making a name for himself, in the, especially last week against Missouri. And then, of course, you have Hendon Hooker on top of that. I think that that's a way that Tennessee can really kind of affect the crowd early into the game because you know it's going to be roaring, at least for the start. Sandstorm, the white towels, yeah. all that kind of good stuff. No, you're right, and it's uh, it's funny because you give up 194 passing yards. That's that's good. I think it's it's top five in the SEC. But yeah, 192 rushing yards. That's the second worst run defense in the entire conference, and by a pretty good margin too. So uh, they did. I think they gave up about 270 to Florida last week on the ground. Granted, uh, Florida I think has the top running rushing offense in the SEC, at least one of the top two or three. But uh, we've talked about it. We talked about it with the Georgia game. We talked about it with the Pittsburgh game. If Tennessee can run the ball, it's going to be really hard to stop this offense because you're right, that's the foundation of it. And if you have to put extra guys in the box, if you have to play with six or seven in the box, Tennessee's just going to be able to kill you over top. And one, if Tennessee can avoid third and long, this offense is going to is very good at sustaining drives when they have to and they can't get the chunk plays, I think, which is probably a little bit of a misconception about it nationally. So to me, that's a, a major reason why I, I think Tennessee will have a lot of success in this game. The South Carolina defense has not played well the last month. It's statistically worse than Kentucky. It's worse than Missouri. And what we saw Tennessee go for 40-something against Kentucky and then 66 against Missouri. So I think there's going to be maybe less possessions just from the fact that Tennessee will run the ball probably a, a good bit similar to they did in the LSU game where they really just imposed their will on the ground. But I think that matchup or, or that weakness for South Carolina on top of a lot of others makes this one hard to see being you know a four-quarter game on yeah. Saturday. Can I throw a hypothetical at you? Yeah. So if you were South Carolina's defensive coordinator, right, knowing that probably the, the passing defense uh, I think overshadows the rush defense, 
How would you kind of approach Tennessee at the beginning of the game? Obviously, as the game goes on, you're going to you know react to what's whatever's unfolding. But would you kind of come into it trying to say, hey, you know what? We know that we have not been good in the rush, but that's what we want to stop first, knowing that that's what Tennessee is going to really try to add into the game. Which maybe say, hey, you know what? We know that that's maybe not our strength. We are going to drop those two safeties back. We are going to make it really tough uh, for you to throw the ball, knowing that so many of those explosive plays come through the passing game. Well, my first thought here is, com- I mean, I'd be, I'd be making a lot more money if I knew the answer to these <laughs> questions. If I knew, uh, if I could help South Carolina yeah. or Missouri or anyone that doesn't have <laughs> ten five stars on defense like Georgia stop Tennessee's offense, I'd be making a lot of money somewhere else. Uh, but. I think you you do you you don't roll guys you don't overly commit to stopping the run because just what we said if Tennessee can hit those big plays over top of you and if you do that and you give up those big plays that's just a perfect recipe for the crowd to be getting taken out of the game really quickly and really early and I think you while Tennessee's fully capable of driving down the field and finishing drives with touchdowns and sustaining long drives and picking up third downs. I still think it's better to play it that way than daring them to hit the passes over the top because I, I as good or as Better to South Carolina pass defenses than the rush defenses. I still think Tennessee will will have the advantage uh, receiver defensive back, and I think you you hope that Tennessee misfires. You can draw a line in, in the red zone, or look. I mean, a lot of times Tennessee's a lot of times Tennessee's been stopped this year. It's because Tennessee's had a holding penalty, or, or uh, and that in the run game, or on one of those quick screen passes where they get an offensive pass interference uh, if they don't throw it uh, behind the line of scrimmage. Those type of plays. So I think you you have to make Tennessee earn it, but. It's really not that simple because Tennessee, especially against opponents of South Carolina's caliber, they can earn it on those long drives. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you uh, you trying to navigate that hypothetical because it was not an easy one. But the reason I asked it is just because I, I do feel like Tennessee has an opportunity to really be opportunistic there in the early part of the game, really in those first couple of drives. I think that's an important spot for Tennessee. Certainly not a a do or die, but just to really get the momentum cranking early, knowing what the crowd is going to be. I think if Tennessee can be successful with the run game early, that obviously forces South Carolina to kind of crowd the box a little bit more, maybe then opening up the passing game. I think South Carolina is done if they can't stop the run in the first quarter because not only does that put South Carolina behind the eight ball, but then that gives Tennessee their full access to the playbook. Man, that that they would want to use in a situation like this. So uh, obviously there's there's so many different ways that South Carolina could go with their opening defensive routes, but I think either way they go. Hey, if they if they, you know, are, are showing really heavy pass defense, man, Tennessee can can use their their run game against a bad run game and really grab some yards there. If they come up and they stack the box, we know that Tennessee can has a very effective passing offense as well. Yeah, I mean, that's what what makes this Tennessee offense so hard to defend. It's not it's not one dimensional at all. It is. It's not. Even though Josh Heupel played for Mike Leach at Oklahoma when he was the offense coordinator there, it's not an air raid offense. It's very much dependent on the run game, and they can beat you in a lot of different ways. Yeah. How about impact players for Tennessee coming up this Saturday night? I look at the running back room as we've already talked about, but what kind of stands out to you? Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know if there's necessarily one spot that I look at as saying an impact player because. Tennessee should have the advantage in a lot of different places, and there should be a lot of areas where they should be able to capitalize. Uh, I look, you know, it's this isn't a, a player, but a spot. I think you have uh, your gunners in punt coverage, and uh, all of all of the different things in special teams that are going to matter in this game. Uh, that it's it's going to have to be a team effort because if you start trying to start trying to chart a path to South Carolina having success in, in this game, uh, I think it's 
it starts with what they've done in a lot of games because they're so limited offensively, and that's have really big plays in special teams. They've had, I believe, three total returns, kick and punt returns combined for touchdowns this season. Uh, they've running a lot of fake punts. We knew they, they hit one for a touchdown last week against Florida, about the only only good play they had offensively all game. Uh, so I think it's really, when you look at this one, just kind of collective for Tennessee, have check all your I's, cross all your T's, play assignment football, and if you do that, I think Tennessee is going to be able to, to win handedly. Yeah, and that's something that Josh Heupel talked about on Monday. I think the assistant coordinators talked about that on Tuesday. Josh Heupel again talked about that today, which is Wednesday on the SEC teleconference call. You know that South Carolina wants to uh, affect the game, wants to disrupt the game with a little bit of chaos on the special teams front. I I think that is a place that Tennessee is looking at. And, you know, even going back to the game last year, right, you can find a a little bit of improvement, as Heupel talked about uh, on the teleconference call today. I I I agree. I think there's a lot of different places that you can look at for an important Tennessee player in this game, an impact Tennessee player in this game. But ultimately, it's not the kind of impact player that's like, hey, Tennessee needs this guy to do good to win this game. I think you and I both in, in uh, fair agreement that this is, this is certainly Tennessee's game to win. I, I think Tennessee is the better team. But more importantly, Tennessee's got so much to play for right now. Yeah, Like you mentioned at the top of the show, man, this is not a position that Tennessee has been in uh, in the last decade or so, right? He, this is just a, a new spot for the college football playoffs in general for the University of Tennessee. So there's so much to go on. You know that you don't have any more ranked opponents left on the schedule, including this game against South Carolina. And then against La- uh, Missouri last week, we heard all week how important those uh, those style points were going to be, right? And, yeah. and then some people got upset with the style points after the game, right? They said, no, 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 those are too stylistic of points. I don't know how to how to decide that. But ultimately, this is such an important game for Tennessee just because they're in a situation where you got to continue to win if you want to be in that conversation a little bit later on. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, there's really just not – Tennessee can, can control what it can, can control, which isn't a whole lot right now. It's not uh, like, you know, US, USC who – Obviously, they still have three challenging games left and three games that they need to build their resume. Tennessee is, is kind of past that. So I think I said it you know, last week, I don't know how important style points are really going to be, and I, I still agree with that. But I think it is doing what Tennessee did before they hit the two Joe Milton uh, touchdowns there late in the game, at least the, the last one, and that's put up upper 40 points, put up 50 points, be in control of the game, your defense not get torched, and really never be a question if you're going to lose. And, and while Missouri – cut Tennessee's lead to four there early in the third quarter. I don't think there were many people that questioned that Tennessee was still going to win that game. So uh, that's going to be big. And, you know, another thing I think that's worth watching for in this game, South Carolina's offense has struggled so much this year. But, you know, Marshawn Lloyd, the running back, has really been their best playmaker. He hasn't played the last two weeks. And Tennessee's defense, we know, is really good at stopping to run. But to me, that's you don't really see a bell cow back a lot in college football anymore where it's very obvious that this guy is yeah. the number one guy and they get – 70% of the carries each game. Marshawn Lloyd kind of has been that while healthy for South Carolina. So that's something worth watching because, as I expect to happen, if Tennessee makes it where Spencer Rattler has to beat them, they're going to be in good shape. This, this South Carolina passing attack has not been good at all this season. Yeah, Lloyd is averaging 5.6 yards a carry, which is not bad at all. Obviously, you just need two of those to get a first down. He's also got nine touchdowns on the year. Another impactful player for, uh, for South Carolina on the other side, though, is going to be their tight end, Jaheim Bell. Tennessee has played some good tight ends this year. You know, yeah, they, they certainly have an SEC competition. You go back to Brock Bowers. You go back to uh, um, 
I'm blanking off the top of my head now, but they've played some good tight ends this year. This is going to be another one that they face. Jaheim Bell is, does a little bit of everything for them. He's got about 150 rush yards on the season. He's got about 190 receiving yards on the season. They can really move him in different places along the formation that their offense has uh, and create problems for Tennessee. So I think as long as you, as long as Tennessee's defense is figuring out where that guy is on the field at all times, you you kind of you know you just make sure that you have him kind of covered. I, I think that's at least a big X factor that they will try to uh, uh, exploit Tennessee's defense with on the offensive end. Yeah, I think that's certainly a guy Tennessee's game planning for. I mean, I, I think game planning that's that's the word I was looking for. South Carolina probably is, is, I kind of would compare him to Princeton Fant. Now South Carolina uses him more in the run game than what Tennessee does with Fant, which is really just so occasional short yardage situation. I don't. Have uh, Princeton fans numbers in front of me this year. I imagine he has like 10 carries, close to 10 carries, and, and Jaheim Bell has 47. So, uh, But that's the kind of the skill set uh, that, that you're looking at that he has. So that'll be really interesting. And uh, I, I think another thing when you look at this Tennessee offense versus, excuse me, Tennessee defense versus South Carolina offense, Tennessee's defense, for all their deficiencies and struggles this year, they're good at creating turnovers. And making timely plays. South Carolina turns it over, I believe, more than all but one offense in the yeah. SEC. Uh, I believe it's, what, eight or nine interceptions? Yeah, not eight touchdowns, nine interceptions for Spencer Rattler this year. They've also got nine fumbles, I believe. So you put those two together, and you're nearing 20 interceptions for their – or 20 turnovers for their offense. Yeah, I, I think they – yeah, they average yeah, – it's first in the SEC, actually, just ahead of Auburn. They average over two turnovers a game, and, and that's exactly what – you know, you look at the way South Carolina, what they do well offensively, and what Tennessee does, it's – limited not great defense does well defensively that matches up really well for what Tennessee's going to be able to stop and, and then kind of maybe make uh, some some force some timely turnovers and again that's another thing if you do that in the game early you know Tennessee goes scores a touch gets the ball first scores a touchdown gets a turnover gets a short field that's how you take Williams Bryce Stadium out of it early and you really don't leave any doubt yeah absolutely I I, I couldn't you know, I, I totally agree with that statement. You know, looking back at this game, or I guess looking forward to this game, coming up Saturday at 7 o'clock p.m., there is a line out on the game, and the line is 21 and a half as we record here according to ESPN. ESPN's Football Power Index also gives Tennessee an 89.3% chance to win this game. Are you surprised by the line at all? I mean, where did you kind of, where did that reaction uh, land originally? No, I mean, it was around what I expected. To me, it seems like a very hard line to set because you can see a path, certainly, to South Carolina playing Tennessee closer than three touchdowns or it even being a game that goes as you expect, I guess you should say. It plays out very similar to how you might anticipate where Tennessee is in control of the game, but they only win by, you know, 17, 18 points. But at the same time, you know, Tennessee's offense can explode. I mean, they won by 40 last week in a game. They were up by three early in the second half. So it's just, I feel like, hard. Uh, hard for odds makers to predict games like this where Tennessee's favored because if Tennessee's offense is consistent and doesn't take their foot off the gas, they can make this game really, really uh, yeah. it, lopsided. It, it's I guess a pretty, the word I'm looking for. It's a pretty incredible snowball effect that, yes, that Tennessee's exactly. offense can have throughout a game. You're right, especially if – you know, the wheels for the defense kind of starts to come off in the second half, and Tennessee wants to keep the pedal to the metal. Josh Heupel talked about it on Monday. I mean, going back to that last score against Missouri, he said, you know what, I, I didn't exactly know what the right thing to do was, but I knew that the twos were in, and we wanted to let them play. And, and that's what he did. And I think, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen towards the end of the game uh, coming up this Saturday. But 
Tennessee obviously in a position where they want to score, they want to impress, they want to make this as big of a spectacle as possible. One more thing, going back to the defense that I forgot that you said a second ago, um, with the turnovers, especially that Spencer Rattler has been throwing. Last few weeks, Tennessee's defense, especially the secondary, has been aggressive. You know, yeah. they, they have been seeking out those turnovers. They've been trying to get their hands on the ball. So I, I think that's at least a different mindset or at least a different execution than maybe what you saw from the beginning of the season from that specific group. But who knows, if Spencer Rattler does start you know, letting them fly on Saturday night, which I think is a likely situation to happen, and you might see Tennessee's secondary be in a position where they start trying to go grab some of those balls. It's interesting. You've almost, and this is kind of getting on a little bit of a side tangent, not about this game, but with Tennessee's secondary, you've almost seen a full flip. And we talked about it all, all preseason camp where they have a lot of guys. How good are those guys going to be? I'm not sure, but they have a lot of guys at corner. We all felt like we knew that it was going to be the veterans, Jalen McCullough and Trayvon Flowers at safety at the corner spots. A lot of guys in competition. Yes. You've seen it fully evolve. Warren Burrell dropped down hurt for the year. Kamal Haddon and Christian Charles have both been banged up some, but they were the starters for a while and seemed pretty entrenched there, playing the vast majority of games. And now it's almost completely flipped where you have Brandon Turnage and Danico Slaughter. Those have been Tennessee's starting corners the last uh, three or four games. And they didn't, those two guys hardly played any in the month of September. And those guys, even if Kamal, you know, Christian Charles has been healthy, even if Kamal Haddon is healthy on Saturday, it feels like those two guys are going to be the starters, going to be the guys that Tennessee rolls with. It kind of, ba- I guess, uh, matches up with what we thought preseason. And uh, certainly, kind of to your point, I-, I think those guys have made some good plays. And Brandon Turnage had the interception in the Kentucky game, had his hands on two balls last week that uh, he at least could have had. And uh, it seems like, from a confidence standpoint, those guys are maybe at a higher level than uh, Tennessee's corners were earlier in the season. You know, this is obviously a conversation that we will have in hindsight because we don't have the full picture yet, but it will be really interesting to go back and see what you're talking about. That rotation, you can look at a lot of different positions, I think, position groups, I think, but you can look at that rotation just in kind of how it evolved throughout the year. Just like how, you know, how Brandon Turnage and Danico Slaughters have turned in, uh, Slaughter has turned into impact players here in the back half of the season for Tennessee. I think that Dylan Sampson is going to continue to also be an yeah. impact player here in the last few games for Tennessee as well. So it's just going to be interesting. We'll, we'll have to have that conversation uh, after the season when we go back in hindsight. Yeah, definitely. Sampson's one that's going to be really interesting because really hadn't played much at all in the SEC games from LSU until last week against Missouri, but looked awesome last week against Missouri. Heupel said that you know they've been tr- they've been wanting to get him a couple reps in those in those few games leading into Missouri, just wasn't able to. And you're right, he showed out. Yeah, definitely. So it'll be interesting to see how big his role is uh, really in both these last two games. We have proje- uh, predictions. We have staff predictions. You and I doing that uh, coming out on Friday, correct? Yeah, Friday morning. But in the meantime, I, I at least feel like uh, from this conversation, you-, you might feel pretty confident about a Tennessee win. Are you, Are you at least yeah. in that direction? No, definitely. I, I would be – I'd be surprised. That I'd be – Almost shocked if Tennessee doesn't win this one. Yeah, I think I'm in that same exact boat. Again, you can go and check back later in the week. We will have our official RTI staff predictions over on RockyTopInsider.com. We will have you totally covered for that game. Ryan and I will be heading there this weekend. We will have you locked and loaded from Williams Bryce Stadium in Columbia. So make sure you're following along with Rocky Top Insider for that. Make sure you're following Ryan and I on Twitter as well. But in the meantime, Ryan, let's go ahead and move into some basketball. Again, Dunk City coming to town tonight. We got that on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. Back here on the RTI Press Pass. You know, Ryan, one thing that was announced on Tuesday night was a little bit of a highly anticipated thing. Now, it had sort of been 
sort of been hinted at, sort of been teased. I, I think that, a, a couple of the pictures bit. leaked yeah. out a little bit. But the announcement was official on Tuesday night. Tennessee is going to be debuting brand new orange helmets for the first time in the modern football era, right? You can yeah. go back to the leather helmets, and I think Tennessee did have an orange one for that. But in terms of the modern helmets of today's day and age, they've never had orange before. They will this Saturday against South Carolina. Yeah, they will. And uh, it's funny, I hadn't even thought about that. You're right, the, those helmets would have been leather. Like I'd seen the stat from maybe the 20s or wherever when they'd worn them. I wonder what that – I feel like we might be bending orange a little bit. I bet that yeah. was a kind of a brown <laughs> that was maybe a lighter brown. That we'll call it orange. Maybe um, some of the pictures have been uh, edited or altered a little bit over time, yeah, touched I mean, up. I haven't seen any of the pictures, so maybe the pictures uh, make my point look dumb. But, no, I mean, it's it's like you said, we've seen them. We saw them with the black uh, when the black helmets uh, first got leaked out too. Um, so it'll be really interesting. I feel like I have the least – strong opinion or at least feel for them after the re- release of any of the uniforms we've seen this year. Now, granted, the smoky gray we'd seen before. We knew they were the same smoky gray. I don't know. Maybe it was just the way the graphic was where it was like all the orange helmets in the background. So it was just white jersey, orange helmet, orange in the background. And then in the pictures, there were never of Joe Milton, who was modeling the helmet. There was never like a full, full uniform picture. Yeah. It was just from like the shoulders up. So, uh, I think they look pretty good. Uh, I'll be interested to see. Obviously, I'm a little bit more of a traditionalist, but uh, orange and white, you keep it with that. Uh, I think it, it probably looks better on the road with white white jerseys at least, uh, whether it's obviously going to be white pants on uh, Saturday, but whether it's white or orange pants, I, I think definitely keeping it on the road is probably probably going to be the best yeah. look for it. Yeah, I, I'm like you. I, I like them a lot. I, I think they look cool. I, I like that Tennessee is just at least bringing in new concepts to the, to the team, whether they bring it back or – you know, whether they don't, I think it's at least fun that they're doing this. The only kind of concern that I had was I felt like maybe it looked a little top-heavy, which is not ever the case when you're going to be wearing white helmets. I also felt like the orange pants, and, and I actually think that this is probably going to be a, a hot take or a, or a not popular opinion, because I saw a lot of people clamoring for the orange pants yesterday, especially when we tweeted it out on Rocky Top Insider. Uh, but I felt like the orange pants just is a little too much like, you know, ice cream sandwich, if you will. You know, just the orange on the top, orange on the bottom. I, I, granted, now I'm saying that the that the just orange helmet with the white jerseys are a little bit top-heavy. I'm sounding like I don't like this, and I'm just trying to find excuses. I do like them. I, I think they're going to look great under the lights. I think that it's a cool look and, and certainly, you know, iconic for Tennessee to boast that orange. Uh, but I'm interested to see what they look like under the lights, for sure. Yeah, I don't know how I'd feel about Because obviously I saw, like you said, it was a very popular sentiment that they should wear them with orange pants and I don't really know how I would feel about I would like to see them before I guess I had my opinion and Bob before we we started recording I thought made a good point with the orange pants I think it would look a lot like Clemson because that uh, Clemson obviously wears the orange helmets and their big thing championship games you wear orange pants so a lot of the big games that we think about seeing Clemson it's orange helmets white jerseys orange pants so that would kind of be my my one uh, concern uh, with that uniform combination, but uh, it'll be certainly be interesting to see. And like I said, just from like uh, not having great feel from the graphic graphics, like I'm really excited to get in the stadium yeah. uh, on Saturday night and see what it looks like when the team comes out to warm up and, and see how it looks uh, under the lights of, of Williams Bryce Stadium. Now, last thing on the helmets, real quick. Obviously, with the dark mode helmet and the smoky gray helmet, you are only going to wear those with their respective alternate yeah. uniform combinations, right? You're not just going to break out the the black helmet with a stormtrooper look. You're not going to do the, the gray helmet with the orange and whites. Do you think that the orange helmet, if it is well-received and if it does look good, do you think that it could even maybe move to the to the home uniform? Not not take over the white helmet, but maybe one game here or there. 
you bring out the orange helmets at home? I think it's an interesting question. My first thought would be no. Um, Mine too. Yeah, I just, We're not going to disagree. Dang it. Y- yeah, my, my first thought would be no. I think that would be uh, just a lot. And I think the white helmet looks so good with the orange uniforms. The one maybe hesitate in all orange, orange pants. I mean, that would be a, a ton, would be so bright. But I think the Holy all, creamsicle. I think the all, all orange look would be, I'd be willing to hear that look out more than I'd be willing to hear out the orange helmet, orange jerseys, white pants. I, to me, that sounds like it would look terrible. Yeah, to me, that just is very heavy, right? Yeah. And, and I know, you know, I don't know. I, to me, like the, the heaviness factor is, like, is a big thing when it comes to uniforms. You can't look too top heavy. I don't think you can really look bottom heavy, but. You know, one way or another. Either way, Tennessee is bringing out orange helmets this Saturday night against South Carolina. Yes, they are. And uh, like like you said, uh, it'll be interesting uh, to see if it evolves into more because, like, Smokey Gray to black helmets kind of is what it is. You have it as part of the uniform, but I don't think uh, it's going to become a part of any other uh, uniform combination. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, what do you say we move into a little bit of basketball conversation? Yeah, let's do it. Number 22, Tennessee, takes on Florida Gulf Coast tonight, uh, which is going to be Wednesday night at 7 o'clock p.m. Figure by the time that most people are listening to this, either the game is already, it, it's either about to start, it's going on, or it wrapped up yesterday. But the 22 number is interesting because the only reason that Tennessee is there is because they had a 12-point loss to unranked Colorado over the weekend in Nashville. Tennessee, prior to that game, was ranked number 11. They plummet a little bit back to 22 with you know not a lot of marquee games or anything happening in the first week or two of the college basketball season. Tonight's going to be a big game again uh, about rebounding, and I don't mean rebounding in terms of going up and grabbing the basketball. I, I mean, this is going to be a big game in terms of rebounding after early season adversity, right? And that early season adversity could come any time in the first couple months, really leading into SEC play. But this is the definition of early season controversy. When you do have that loss in the second game of the year, you did have Rick Barnes come out, and he was very animated in his response after the game calling out the players, right, making sure that, hey, they take responsibility for not being prepared for this game. He took some responsibility as well. But either way, this is, to me at least, a little bit more than just a a casual Wednesday against Florida Gulf Coast because of the loss on Sunday. Do you feel similar? Do you feel differently? Uh, I think from, you know, the the team standpoint, it is. You you would expect to see some urgency and, and I imagine practice hasn't, and they probably didn't have <laughs> practice both those days. But I imagine whenever they've practiced between Sunday and Wednesday has not has not been fun. So I imagine, I think you're right. Again, I don't think the one lost Colorado and puts just an unbelievable emphasis on this game. But it's the first chance they have to to get a bad taste out of their mouth, and it's the first time they're going to play in what I guess eventually will be about a ten day stretch from. Uh, this Monday until next a week from now, uh, next Wednesday, uh, when they when they begin play at the Battle for Atlantis down in the Bahamas against Butler, and then they'll play three games in three days. So it's kind of the the one chance they get to bounce back before before they get head on the road and they they head down there for that that week trip. So uh, it'll be it'll be really interesting. You hit the nail on the head. I think they dropped a lot because not many teams played uh, good opponents in the in the first week. And look, you know Tennessee. Colorado's power five, but that you know Tennessee was 16, 17 point favorites is the first time in Rick Barnes' tenure that Tennessee's loss is a twelve plus point favorite. Uh, so certainly a bad taste to get out of Tennessee's mouth, and and they'll have a chance to do it tonight. Yes, they will. You know, Rick Barnes talked about a lot of things that he wanted to see uh, in the immediate aftermath of that Colorado game. Uh, you know, specifically referring to a couple of players. What do you think about Zakai Ziegler? Do you think he is going to be 
in or out of the starting lineup. Barnes, after the Colorado game, said that, hey, he already had a, he had already had a conversation with Zakai saying that, man, you're not going to be in the starting lineup going forward. I think you've been looking at the the game previews for today. What you got on that? Yeah, so in the game notes, uh, it has the probable starters, and, and uh, it's Tyreek Key at point guard, not Sky Ziegler, and then the other one, and this is injury-related, but Euros Plastic added a lineup, Josiah Jordan-James in. Uh, so it'll be a four-guard starting lineup for Tennessee. Uh, Plastic rolled his ankle up. Barnes kind of downplayed it after the game. I don't think he... He wouldn't talk any about injuries or anything that could even look like an excuse for how his team played. So that'll be interesting. To, we haven't we haven't talked to Barnes uh, anymore since that game. So it'll be interesting to see what he says after that tonight. Uh, revolving Plasic, uh availability uh, going yeah. forward and, and just how serious that injury it is. And I think the other thing that the Colorado game there were so many bad things to, to talk about and. Uh, one of the things that was interesting is Tennessee was very heavy playing small ball for a lot of that game. They they even played a lot of four guards, uh, but even of uh, some five guards at a time where you had Josiah playing the five and uh, Jemai Meshack playing the four. So that's interesting. Now there were Plasic went down. Toby Awaka did not play well. The freshman did not play well when he came in. And then both Jonas Adu and, and Olivier Kamwa were in foul trouble. So there were some things that forced her hand there. But I did think it was interesting to at least see Barnes was willing uh, to play that lineup. Did you catch any of the Kentucky game from yesterday? I assume you did, considering most most of the football world, at least, was waiting for that for the playoff rankings. Uh, do you have any early thoughts on Kentucky? I thought Cason Wallace looked good. That was obviously a guy that, that was a Tennessee target from Richardson High School in Texas, which is, fun fact, right down the road from from me and was actually, I think, my dad's former high school. So, uh that was a that was a little bit of an interesting watch yesterday. Yeah, I saw Cason Wallace, which, you know, the – his whole reputation and everything about him was what a, a good wing defender he is, and I think he tied the Kentucky uh, program record with eight steals last night. Uh, he had a, a, a phenomenal game on the defensive end, and I guess when I look at K- Kentucky, what stands out is just they're, they're a very physically imposing roster. They're very long. They're very big. They're wings. Cason Wallace being one of them. You have Jacob Toppin, who, who's playing a little bit of the four spot, too. Uh, just outside of Sylvia Willer, who's obviously starting point guard and is very short, uh, this is a, a big, long long team that should be really good on defensive end. I still think they have. It's still early, and just like Tennessee's figuring yeah. things out, Kentucky's figuring things out with some newcomers. Uh, so I, I think question for them which I say this is just a question for so many college basketball teams. This is just the nature of college basketball. I think they'll, be, they'll have to be figuring some things out offensively as the year progresses, but certainly uh, defensively uh, a roster that should should be really good on that end. And I saw it's like the sixth straight championship classic game that they lost. You know, those four teams play, wow. uh, rot- rotate opponents uh, every year in, in that game. And Kentucky's, uh, they really struggled in this one. And Michigan State the past couple of years has been the worst of those teams. And – I think Michigan State will probably be a little bit better this year, but it certainly felt like a game Kentucky probably should have won last night, and they let slip away in a double overtime. Yeah, which, speaking of, that's also a Michigan State team that Tennessee has seen just a couple yeah. of weeks ago. That Now, that was obviously that was non-televised, that was non-advertised, that was just a, a scrimmage between these two teams with these head coaches, but that is a team that Tennessee has played. Gonzaga is also a team that Tennessee has played. So, certainly some, some big-level competition has been uh, seen by Tennessee basketball this season. Right now, just kind of about... You know, getting this thing together, I think, in the early couple of games, figuring out these uh, these quick changes, these quick fixes, if you will. Uh, but certainly Tennessee's next opportunity to do that will be Wednesday night against Florida Gulf Coast in Thompson Bowling Arena. That game is going to be at 7 o'clock p.m. It is going to be broadcasted on the SEC Network+. Plus. Ryan, you ready for this weekend? Yeah, I am. It should be fun. It should be exciting. It'll be a late night for us, uh, and but won't be an early start. 
Yeah, that's that's yeah. for one thing. We'll be able to mosey our, our way down to the Columbia and uh, leave in probably even early afternoon. So uh, excited for the game and, and excited way, for another football Saturday. Next week won't be an early start for us either. That will be another late night. That no. game in the Mid-State is going to be 6.30 p.m. Central Time against Vanderbilt. So certainly uh, two, two late nights coming up to close down the regular season for the Tennessee Volunteers and head coach Josh Heupel. All right, Ryan. That's going to wrap it up for us today. I think we got everything we wanted to out of the way. South Carolina coming up on Saturday. Florida Gulf Coast University coming up tonight for Tennessee basketball. But if you want to be locked in with the best Tennessee news notes and coverage, hey, make sure you're following Rocky Top Insider on all different social media platforms. We are at Rocky Top Insider on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Of course, you can go and check out RockyTopInsider.com for all the great articles that we post every day. If you want to follow Ryan... You can do that at rshump00. If you want to follow myself, you can do that at rick underscore butler. But again, man, make sure you are wherever you listen to this podcast right now, which you can listen to this podcast anywhere, but make sure you are subscribed to the RTI Press Pass. Make sure you are leaving us a great five-star rating and a comment. We would love to hear from you. We would love a little bit of feedback and to be able to communicate with you back. But otherwise, that's going to do it for us here today. For Rick Butler, for Ryan Shumpert, this has been the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. We'll see you back next week.